Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by Facebook. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, Apple loses part of its core and why the U.S. Air Force is worried about big business mergers. But first, the future of vice. So no, this isn't about Joe Biden or about digital media companies. No, I'm talking about real vice here. Alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, and all other things deemed, at least at one time, to be socially harmful or immoral. Not too long ago, it was virtually impossible for startups dealing in vice to get traditional venture capital funding. Not so much because venture capitalists themselves were opposed or because they didn't see profit potential, but because VCs invest out of funds that are largely supported by institutions. Institutions like university endowments and charitable foundations, and even church pension funds. In short, lots of those groups do have moral objections, or at least want to avoid headlines linking them to something like an e-cigarette or sex toy startup. So we've seen a little bit of softening in venture land of late, at least in terms of cannabis companies that, quote, don't touch the plant, but still not too much which leads us to a new venture capital fund that was just announced not only to invest in vice startups, but to invest in nothing but vice startups. In 10 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios' Kia Kokliacheva. But first, this. People are asking for more ways to see and control the information companies have on them, and companies are changing in response. To learn what steps Facebook is taking, check out facebook.com slash about slash ads. We're joined now by Axios' Kia Kokliacheva. This morning, you reported on Vice Ventures, uh, which has raised $25 million to invest in these sorts of companies. And it's led by a woman named Catherine Dockery. Who is Catherine Dockery? So Catherine has kind of an interesting background, banking for a bit. And then she worked for Andy Dunn, who was the CEO of Bonobos. That was um, this direct-to-consumer men's apparel company. So then she wanted to get herself into VC. That's where she went to Vice because she couldn't find a venture firm that would invest in these categories. So she decided to create her own. So when she worked for Andy Dunn and Bonobos gets bought by Walmart, she ends up at Walmart. And then she couldn't find a way to invest in these companies. Why does she want to invest in these companies? Right? There's plenty of other things to invest in traditionally. Technology, hardware, software, biotech. Why Vice? I think it was more of a, she found these areas interesting and she knew that there would be, you know, huge growth opportunities. And so, you know, why not? Isn't that what VCs do? They they find sort of the opportunities that aren't being explored thoroughly and they, they go in and they make money. Let's talk about what Vice plans to invest in. So obviously marijuana companies, what else? Where, where else is Vice Ventures going to try to put its money? She is looking at alcohol. She's looking at gambling. She's looking at what she calls sex tech. It's basically all the things that you would think about as vices. And a couple of niche things too, right? Like you keep reading about this, or I keep reading about this, which is kind of this this new class of psychedelics as a company, not, not as somebody selling them on the street. Yeah. So that's kind of the other interesting development as far as substances that we've historically looked at illegal and harmful and bad, but there are some very real medical benefits. And so there's a little bit of a a change legally. There's some uh, jurisdictions that are starting to legalize some of them for certain purposes. And so, you know, in the same way that people are looking at cannabis, people are also looking at psychedelics. 
Okay, when we broaden this out, you know, I've been covering venture capital for a long time. And I remember when I started covering it, what VCs would tell me would be, in general, we don't want to invest in regulated industries. There was always an exception to that, which was pharmaceuticals, traditional pharmaceuticals. But in general, we don't want to invest in anything that the government could really step in and kill the company, essentially, with regulation or significantly change it. And we've seen a, and I'm correct in saying, right, we have seen a real change in that maybe over the past five or six years, which kind of maybe leads to what Catherine's doing now in terms of investing in things like transportation and all other sorts of areas that are now highly regulated. Obviously, I can't read VC's minds, but I think they've sort of realized that regulations may not be as toxic as they've historically thought, right? Like, I mean, transportation, like, okay, there are some regulations, but there's huge market opportunities. Everyone needs transportation of some kind. So I feel like they're sort of getting over that. And Catherine is very, very, very aware. She told me she's assembled a team of lawyers and she's got Bradley Tusk who's also an advisor as well as an investor in her fund. And so I think it's sort of a, if you know how to deal with it and, you know, follow the rules, you can totally grab all of these opportunities. So I think she's jumping into it with very, very open eyes as far as regulation. I'm now asking, you said you can't read VCs' minds, so now I'm going to ask you to do something harder, which is to make a big prediction, which is, do you expect that we are going to see, actually, I guess I was going to ask you, are we going to see kind of a a VC-backed unicorn from the vice space? But we kind of already have that with Jewel, right? And I'm wondering, did you talk to her about Jewel? Because that's kind of the, the big one out there that's already happened. It was interesting because she did say that she's interested in backing companies that are working on harm reduction as far as smoking and tobacco. And her take on Jewel was that it's sort of two-sided, right? On one hand, it's absolutely done a great job at helping adult smokers get away from traditional cigarettes and into something that's alternative. And at the same time, it's also given rise to this teen vaping academic, which she called horrible when we talked about it. And so it's a double-edged sword, but she totally recognizes what the done. Kind of weird, right? So like she talks about harm reduction, but that isn't that not the opposite of vice, but I mean, vice startups by their nature aren't supposed to be for harm reduction necessarily, right? They're more like do what you want to yourself, even if it hurts you. How does she reconcile the idea of I would only invest in tobacco products if it's harm reduction? So like, for example, so from what I assume she's saying is, you know, I wouldn't invest in the new, you know, the next Marlboro or, or the, you know, but, but I will invest in the next marijuana company or the next alcohol company or or the other thing that from a health perspective is bad for you? Well, one of the interesting things that she also said that the e-cigarette market is way too mature for her at this point. You know, she has a small early stage fund. So I guess she doesn't really have to think about that specifically. Like Jewel, that ship has sailed. So she doesn't really have to deal with it. And she's also said herself, like in her mind, these are all vices. So she's also not deluding herself into thinking that, you know, she's, backing the next great medical savior. Final question for you. Do you expect that we will see either other firms like Vice Ventures or if we will see traditional firms fight harder to remove these so-called vice clauses from their limited partnership agreements? I think it'll be both. I think if she can do it, she's probably not the only one who's thought about these opportunities and she's probably not the only one who has a fun with that type of focus. At the same time, I think there was a time when no one could invest in anything related to cannabis, and then now you're seeing some of that. I think it'll be slower in the traditional VC side, just because, as you said, they have to deal with LPs, and they have, you know, if they're institutions, that's kind of a layer that's always going to be impossible. And so I think it'll be a little bit slower on that end, but I think both sides will definitely get there. 
Axios is Kia Kokliacheva. Thanks so much for joining us. My final two right after this. Everyone is different. That's why you should be able to customize your experience online so that you feel comfortable. To learn more, visit facebook.com slash about slash ads. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the shakeup at One Infinite Loop, where longtime Apple design chief Johnny Ive is leaving to hang his own shingle. The news pushed Apple stock down more than 1% in early Friday trading, which doesn't sound like much until you realize that translates to over $10 billion. Now, the worry is understandable, since Ive is widely credited with that distinctive minimalist design that you see in most Apple products, and he was viewed by Steve Jobs as integral to the company's success. But Ive leaving might not be quite as big a deal as some are making it out to be. Three reasons. First, we are now learning that Ive has largely worked remotely for quite some time and was focused more on designing Apple's new headquarters than on its new products. Two, Ive isn't leaving Apple altogether. Apple will be a client of his new design firm, and this is an orderly departure with a lot of Ive lieutenants remaining behind. And third, as my colleague Ina Fried emailed me, Apple's biggest hardware issue is if it can come up with a new idea, not so much what that idea will look like. Plus, the company seems to believe that much of its future growth is in services, not devices. And finally this morning, there has been a ton of consolidation in the defense sector over recent years, and there are now some who believe the result is a national security concern. Among them is Will Roper, head of the U.S. Air Force's Department of Tech and Acquisition, who yesterday said at a conference that there are now just a few companies that can build tactical airplanes for the Air Force. Some of that's the direct result of mergers, you know, two companies becoming one, but some of it is also how those mergers prompt other companies to abandon the sector. The bottom line, if this line of thinking gains traction, United Technologies might have trouble getting regulatory approval for its big buyout of Raytheon, which was announced earlier this month. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national Paul Bunyan Day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.